Okay, let's pray and ask God to meet us in the Word, and then we're going to have a baptism. Ben and Emily are getting baptized. We are very excited. So let's pray. Father, thank you for your Word. Thank you for the book of Isaiah. And I pray that you would teach us. I pray that you would strengthen us, guide us, encourage us, and uh, reveal yourself to us. Help me, strengthen me, Lord. Clear my mind. Um, Give me the right heart, I pray. Unleash your power now, I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 66, the last chapter in the book of Isaiah. Wow. 66 chapters in this book. But go ahead and raise your hand if you need a Bible, because we'd like you to be able to look along with as we, we study through this chapter verse by verse. We did verses 1 through 4 last week, 5 through 24. Today we finish our series on the book of Isaiah. So we're coming to the end of Isaiah, which means we're going to hear his final words. You know, you're an author, you come to the end of a 66-chapter book, you're coming to the end here, and you're, this, is, this is it now. This is your, your final statement. So this is really important. And to set the stage for what Isaiah is going to tell us, I want you to imagine that you are heading on a trip tomorrow. Okay, And I want you to think about how differently you would prepare for the trip and how differently you would, you would act on the trip if you found that the trip was going to go to the North Pole okay, versus if the trip was taking you to, say, Hawaii. Be a difference, right? Think about how different you would be acting on this trip if you knew that the trip was a trip to fight in Afghanistan versus if it was a trip to do like sightseeing in Ireland. Very different. Now here's why I mention that. It's because in these final words of Isaiah, what he does is he describes for his contemporaries, the, the, the faithful of Israel who are around him, and for us, the Holy Spirit has given Isaiah for the New Testament church as well, to describe for us the, the journey, the plan, the, the purposes that God has for us in the future. So that as we hear what that plan is, what, what the trip is that God, the journey is that God has us going on, we can be walking in sync with what his purposes are for us as we're moving ahead into the future. So as I studied verses 5 through 24, I saw four major events that Isaiah describes as he's bringing this whole amazing book to a close. Four events that are coming. So I just want to take us through all four. And then I'm going to share with you what I think the main takeaway that the Holy Spirit has for us, Mercy Hill Church, from this chapter, and then we'll move into into the baptism. The first event that Isaiah describes is that those who shame believers will be put to shame. Here's why this was important for Isaiah to say. At the time that he wrote, there was a small remnant of faithful believers in the people of Israel. The majority of Israel were not faithful. There was a small remnant, those of those who were faithful to God. And the majority unfaithful ones mocked, persecuted, berated the believers. And so Isaiah wants to encourage them, and he does that in verses 5 and 6. Look at what he says. Hear the word of the Lord. You who tremble at his word, your brothers who hate you 
and cast you out for my name's sake, have said, and this is meant in a mocking way, let the Lord be glorified, that we may see your joy. Just mocking them. But it is they who shall be put to shame. The sound of an uproar from the city, a sound from the temple, the sound of the Lord rendering recompense to his enemies. So here Isaiah is encouraging the faithful believers who are hated by the majority unbelievers in Israel, who are cast out by the majority unbelievers in Israel. He's bringing them encouragement. But it's not just for Isaiah's time that this is relevant because Jesus himself said that up until the second coming, up until the end of history, his followers would be shamed by unbelievers. His followers would be persecuted. See, when, when you step out in, in humility and, and boldness and love and, and, and share the good news of Jesus with someone, read the Christmas story at your school Christmas party or you know, bear witness to Jesus Christ, there will be some who will, who will mock you. There will be some who will scoff at you. Not all, but, but there will be some. That's what Isaiah is talking about here. But Isaiah wants us to understand that those who put us to shame will be put to shame. Now the point of that isn't, isn't that we gloat. It should break our hearts. But Isaiah wants us to understand that if people shame you for Jesus' sake now, the day is coming when, when they will be put to shame. Their shaming of you is not the final, the final statement. That's not what's going to go on forever. That's just temporary. They will be shamed. And you will be honored by Christ forever. Your shaming now is temporary. It's painful. It's hard. But it's temporary. Forever you will be honored by Christ for having stayed faithful to your witness. So don't let the fear of being shamed hold you back from inviting your neighbor to church or sharing the gospel with somebody at your workplace. Because doesn't, I mean, doesn't the fear of being shamed hold you back? It does me. I mean, just... Here's kind of a crazy example. Imagine that you, you knew for sure that every single person you talked to about the Lord would smile and say, thank you. Wouldn't that change what we do? Wouldn't it? Church, would that change what we do? It totally would change what I do. So understand, those who shame believers will be put to shame. So the shame that you have experienced, some of you have been shamed, have been persecuted. You're feeling the pain of it maybe in your heart right now. Others of you, as you're faithful to Christ, you will. That's temporary. They will be shamed. You will be honored forever. That's the first event that Isaiah wants to describe to us. Secondly, God will easily and quickly give birth to a new people. This is interesting. This is the point of 7 through 14. So start with verses 7 through 9. It's a little cryptic, okay, but, but hang in with me, and I'll try to share with you what I think is going on here. Verse 7. Before she was in labor, she gave birth. Before her pain came upon her, 
She delivered a son. Who has heard such a thing? Who has seen such things? Shall a land be born in one day? Shall a nation be brought forth in one moment? For as soon as Zion was in labor, she brought forth her children. Then the Lord speaks, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause, I'm sorry, shall I bring to the point of birth and not cause to bring forth, says the Lord? Shall I who cause to bring forth shut the womb, says your God? What's going on here? Okay. Now, some people think this refers just to the nation of Israel, that maybe it's referring to when Israel was freed from exile in Babylon, brought back to the promised land, that's what's being described. Or that maybe in the 1940s when Israel became a nation, that's what's being described. Maybe. But I'm noticing that in the context of this passage, like in verse 12, what's happening here involves the glory of all the nations being brought to Israel. And in verses 20 and 21, this new people includes both Jews and Gentiles. So this new people being formed, this new nation being formed, is both Jews and Gentiles. So many commentators, and I I was persuaded that this was what's going on here, many believe that this refers to what God did through Jesus, with Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins. This all happened in Jerusalem, Zion's bringing this forth. Jesus' death on the cross to pay for our sins, his resurrection from the dead three days later, showing the truth of his death on the cross and all of his teaching as payment for our sins so we could be reconciled to God and forgiven. And then Jesus' ascension into heaven, and then he poured out the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. Jews and Gentiles, the church formed, and then the beginning of the growth of the early church, more the Samaritans brought in, um, other Gentiles brought in. This forming easily and quickly and powerfully a new people form just like that. And, and what he says then in verses 10 through 14 is the joy that we will have being part of this new people, the people of God. Now, before we look at those verses, let me, crucial question. How do you then become part of this new people of God? If, if there's so much joy, which we're going to read about in a moment, of being part of this new people that God's created, Jew and Gentile, how do you become part of them? I want to make sure we, we get this. It's not by being good enough if I could just be a little more good, I'd, I'd get in. No. It's not by, like, well, I'm, I'm going to start going to church every Sunday. No. The only, there's only one way to get in. You can never be good enough. You can never, you know, clean up your act enough. There's only one way, and that is by trusting Jesus Christ. Faith alone. You, you trust Jesus as your Savior. You trust that it's not by you being good enough to, to get in. You can't earn it. You can't deserve it, like Rick was saying. You trust that his death on the cross paid for your sins. His resurrection showed the meaning of his death and the truth of his death, and that he clothes you with his perfect righteousness, even though you are not sinless. You're clothed with his sinlessness, and it's by trusting him alone. You trust him as your Savior, and you trust him as your Lord. You submit your whole life to him, every part of your life. doesn't mean you become perfect. None of us here are perfect. But I trust that you're submitting your life to the Lord. There's no area that you're holding back saying, mine on this one. You surrender your life to the Lord, every part of it. And then you trust Jesus as your all-satisfying treasure. That the joy, the heart satisfaction of knowing him, he is who you're living for. His glory, his joy is what you're pursuing Knowing him is your highest pleasure and satisfaction. Trusting him as Savior, Lord, and treasure by faith alone, 
you become part of God's people, and here's then what you get to experience. Verses 10 through 14. Now, this is an interesting passage, because the analogy here is that we are babies, we're infants, and this new people, the church of Jesus Christ, is your mother. Yes, that's the picture here. Verse 10. Rejoice with Jerusalem and be glad for her, all you who love her. Rejoice with her in joy, all you who mourn over her. You you mourn for the past difficulties that God's people have had. That you may nurse and be satisfied from her consoling breast. That you may drink deeply with delight from her glorious abundance. For thus says the Lord, Behold, I will extend peace to her like a river. And the glory of the nations, like an overflowing stream. See the Gentiles brought in there? And you shall nurse. You shall be carried upon her hip and bounced upon her knees. Isn't that a great picture? As one whom his mother comforts, so I will comfort you. You shall be comforted in Jerusalem. You shall see and your heart shall rejoice Your bones shall flourish like the grass and the hand of the Lord shall be known to his servants. And then he switches directions here, which we'll come to in the next section, and he shall show his indignation against his enemies. But do you see the joy of being part of God's people in this passage? Trusting Christ as Savior, Lord, and treasure you're in. Are you part of God's people? Are you experiencing the comforts and the joy and the consolation of being part of a group of people who are bonded together with love for Jesus Christ, experiencing his presence, his love poured into our hearts. So we love each other, then we take the good news of Jesus to the world. Are you, are you part of a community of believers? That's the second event that God will easily and quickly give birth to a new people. But as you saw at the last line of verse 14, not everyone is going to experience this comfort and, and joy and nurture because God's going to punish all who continue in rebellion against him. Now just to set the stage for this, all through the Old Testament, starting with creation, and then all of God's mighty works through Israel, that the nations would see God's glory, all through the Old Testament, God displayed who he was to the nations, and yet the majority refused to bend the knee in submission to God. And then even when God himself came to earth in the person of Jesus, showing us his glory, working amazing miracles that we could see. I mean, Jesus, you could touch him, you could see him. And then he died on the cross, he rose from the dead. Even with God coming to earth in the person of Jesus, and that message going out, the majority of people have continued to rebel against God. So God has made it crystal clear. But here's what's going to happen to those who continue to rebel. Verses 15 through 17. For behold... The Lord will come in fire and his chariots like the whirlwind to render his anger in fury and his rebuke with flames of fire. For by fire will the Lord enter into judgment and by his sword with all flesh and those slain by the Lord shall be many. Those who sanctify and purify themselves, that sounds like it might be good news, but it's not, because that's just, they, they do that to go into the gardens. That's idol worship. Following one in the midst, following this 
idolatrous priest into idol worship. Eating pig's flesh. What's so bad about that? Just eating some pork. Well, in the Old Testament, pork was unclean. And the abomination. And mice. Mice were unclean in the Old Testament. All those who do idol worship, verse 17 is saying, shall come to an end together, declares the Lord. So God's going to punish all who continue in rebellion against him. So God is going to quickly and easily form a brand new people, the people of God who trust Jesus Christ, Savior, Lord, and treasure, born again, experience the joy, the nurture, the comfort, the consolation of that. But those who continue in rebellion against God, God is going to punish. And if you keep reading in Isaiah, in fact, I want you to jump down to look at the end of verse 24, because this is eternal punishment in verses 15 through 17, as verse 24 makes clear. The last verse of the book. Here's what he says. And they, so he's speaking about those who've been saved through trusting Jesus, that's us, they, we're in heaven in this verse, shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be an abhorrence to all flesh. Now, in Mark chapter 9, Jesus quotes that language. Does that ring a bell with you? Their worm shall not die, their fire shall not be quenched. Jesus talks about that. And he makes it clear that the context of that has to do with eternal punishment. He's talking about eternal conscious punishment in hell here in this section. So verses 15 through 17 and verse 24 is talking about God punishing all who continue in rebellion against him, and that's going to be forever. So I just want you to feel the weightiness of this. I mean, no one, no one is saved just because they fear eternal punishment. But the way that God wants eternal punishment to work is it just, it just kind of is like a, like a tube of four up the side of the head. It's like, wait a minute. We're talking about forever here. If this is true, I need to take this very seriously and think through who am I? Why am I here? How did I get here? Who is God? Who is Jesus? What does this all mean? Look, just st- sit back and say, look at my life. Where am I going to be? Am I going to be, verse 24, where my worm shall not die and the fire punishing me will not be quenched? Or am I going to be satisfied and nursing and being bounced on the hip and carried on the knees because I'm trusting Jesus Christ? So you ask yourself that question. Please ask yourself that question. Are you trusting Jesus Christ? It doesn't make any difference what you did yesterday, right? Or how far you feel from him today. This is the beauty of the gospel. It makes no difference. Because if you will turn to Jesus Christ as you are and say, help me, would you change me? Would you forgive me? Would you give me the new heart like Rick talked about earlier? He will. You will feel his power changing your heart. So you love him more than anything else. You'll feel that. So you, can cut, you, you have to come to him as you are. If you try to become something else before you come to him, uh-uh, doesn't work, right? You've got to come as you are, as I am. We're sinful. And he welcomes us because of the cross. He's paid for our sins. His resurrection power can change us. So do you understand that? So where are you? Where are you? That's the question from this third event that Isaiah wants his readers including us, to to wrestle with. Where are we? 
There's one more crucial part of this future. I love this last section. God will save many from this punishment by sending his people to the nations. Isn't this good news? Look at verses 18 and 19. Start there. For I know their works and their thoughts. This is all all the unbelievers that that have been rebelling against him. I know their works and their thoughts. But God says, I'm not going to let that keep going. He says, the time is coming to gather all nations and tongues, and they shall come and see my glory. So God's going to come and gather people from every nation, tongue, and tribe, save them. They're going to see his glory. He's not going to let everybody be punished. He's going to save people from every nation, tongue, and tribe so they'll see his glory. How's he going to do that? Verse 19, I will set a sign among them. Now, that's one of these cryptic statements. My, my thought is, does this make sense to you? I mean, there's been various signs that God has sent, has set in front of the nations. I mean, Jesus' death and resurrection is massive. The exodus from Egypt was massive. I mean, there's been signs that God has set in front of people. I will set a sign among them. And from them, I will send survivors. Now, commentators, most of them say that what that's referring to is those believers who survive being persecuted by unbelievers, the persecution described in the earlier verses that we saw. From them, I will send survivors to the nations. Now he mentions some nations. Let me just show you where these are. Okay, Tarshish is over here in Spain. And what's next? Pol and Lud. We aren't really sure, but most scholars think it's right down here in North, North Africa. My little pen work, okay? So Pol and Lud is North Africa. Tubal is the Caucasus area, which is right up here. That's where Ben and Jessica Van Meter are translating the Bible right now. And then Javan is the Ionian coast of Turkey, which is right in here, or you know, right in, kind of in that area. So, so notice, it's the far west, it's the south uh, coast of the Mediterranean, the north coast of the Mediterranean, and up to the northeast. And then he says, to the coastlands far away. So God's going to send the survivors of persecution. Every believer who survived persecution is going to send to the nations, to Tarshish, Pul, and Lud, who draw the bow, to Tubal and Javan, to the coastlands far away, that have not heard my fame or seen my glory. And what's he going to send us to do? And they shall declare my glory among the nations. So here's the deal. If you're alive today, and we, we think most of you are, looks like you are, and you're a believer, then you're one of these survivors, okay? And God has sent you to proclaim his glory to the nations. You are sent to proclaim God's glory to the nations. Now, surely that means, I mean, San Jose is like, is like way... Way over here, okay, all right, so, so that's us. Okay, we're sent to San Jose. So here you are, you're sent here. And that might mean you go with Roz and Scout to Central Asia, or you go, you know, live in North, North Morocco with the Reef Berber people. But all of us are sent here to San Jose, so you are sent to your neighborhood to proclaim Jesus' glory to your neighbors. You're sent. God has said, go to your neighborhood and proclaim my glory. You're sent to your workplace, to proclaim God's glory to your fellow workers. You're sent to your circle of friends to proclaim Jesus' glory to your circle of friends. You're sent to your family to proclaim God's glory to your family. And what will happen as we do that? We will see people saved. Verse 20. And they, that's us, shall bring all your brothers, these are the new converts, from all the nations as an offering to the Lord. 
you will bring people as an offering to the Lord, saved men and women, children. You'll bring them on horses and in chariots and in litters and on mules and on dromedaries, which most people think is camels. Because here's just a sea of, so camels, horses, litters, mules, okay, we're bringing all these new converts as an offering to the Lord to my holy mountain, Jerusalem, says the Lord. Just as the Israelites bring their grain offering in a clean vessel to the house of the Lord. So notice these are from all the nations. We've got Gentiles. This is a Jew and Gentile thing. This new people. Now look at verse 21. Some of them also I will take for priests and for Levites, says the Lord. Now that, do you feel what a stunning statement that is for a Jewish Old Testament believer to read that? Gentiles are going to be made. Some of the Gentiles will be priests and Levites also? Yes. Jew and Gentile joined together, God's people through Christ. Verse 22. For as the new heavens and the new earth that I make shall remain before me, says the Lord, so shall your offspring and your name remain. That is, never will these new converts fall away from the faith. They will stay faithful through eternity. Verse 23. From new moon to new moon, And from Sabbath to Sabbath, all flesh, all these saved people shall come to worship before me, declares the Lord. And they shall go out and look on the dead bodies of the men who have rebelled against me. For their worms shall not die, and their fire shall not be quenched, and they shall be in abhorrence to all flesh. The end. Now, now do, do, do you feel the, the weightiness of what Isaiah has just done here? You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be shamed. But those who shame you will be shamed, and you will be honored forever. And God will, in the future, to Isaiah's readers of, of Israel, God will quickly and easily form a new people of God, Jew and Gentile. And In that setting, God will bring comfort to you and nurture and refuge and joy and security and strength. Not everyone's going to be part of that, though. Those who continue to rebel are going to face eternal punishment. But God is going to save many from that eternal punishment by sending you to the nations to declare my glory. And then you'll all be gathered together, all the saved ones, to worship and praise God And you will also, in that setting, see the judgment that those are facing of continued rebellion as a reminder of what Jesus Christ suffered for you and what he has saved you from. The end. do, Do you feel the weightiness of Isaiah? Amazing book. Now, what does this mean for us? As I just prayed over this passage and said, Lord, What's, what, what, you know, where do you want us to end and to kind of land? There's lots of ways we could go, but, but here's what I think God wants to say to us, especially. It's just this idea that we are sent to the nations to declare God's glory. We're to declare God's glory among the nations. You are sent to your neighborhood. You are sent to your workplace. You are sent by God to your circle of friends and your family members. You're sent by God to declare his glory. That's, that's why you are in your neighborhood. Okay, there's other reasons. Nice to have a roof. 
heat this time of year, okay? Those are good things. But, but he has sent you there to declare his glory. It, it's good that you have your job. Pay the bills. Provide for yourself. Provide for your family. Work hard. Do that. Work excellently. But you're also there to declare God's glory to the people that are there, your friends, your family members. And so I, I think God wants me to challenge you, Mercy Hill Church, this Christmas, this Christmas season, to step out of your comfort zone in how you would think of declaring God's glory to workplace, neighbors, friends, family. Here's what I want to challenge you to do. Take five minutes this afternoon, tonight, tomorrow, and just pray and ask the Lord Jesus, what do you want me to do this Christmas season to declare your glory to people? What do you want me to do? I'm willing to be pushed out of my comfort zone. Okay? Say that. You got to say that. That's really important. I'm willing to be pushed out of my comfort zone. Okay? Say that. And then see what the Lord stirs in your heart. He will stir something in your heart if you mean it. He will stir something in your heart. And it'll make you sweat a little bit. Okay? But it's okay because he'll meet you in it. Maybe he will call you to, uh, like one of the guys in our home group, bacon cookies for his neighbors. All right, and he's going to go and, and meet the neighbors, take cookies to them, and invite them to the Christmas Eve service. Okay, that's powerful. Maybe he'll lead you to invite a friend out to coffee just to say, you know, could I take you out to coffee? I'd like to share with you why Christmas is so meaningful to me. Could I share that with you, take you out to coffee? And then just share your testimony with them. Who knows what God might do? You may be bringing them on a dromedary, okay, to the Lord. All right, here, Father, be glorified. All right, but see, if you come before the Lord and say, "Lord, what are what are you calling me to do?" I want to declare your glory. He will lead you and guide you, and he'll push you a little bit out of your comfort zone, and it'll make you sweat a little bit, but it'll be a glorious thing. So that's my challenge to you. He has sent you. He will lead you. He will tell you. He will guide you. He will sustain you because he has sent you. And then as we do that together, okay, we will end up celebrating more baptisms like we're going to celebrate this morning with Ben and Emily. 